You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. This is The Comedian's Comedian. And it's a good title for a podcast, this one, because this is Ed Axel, described by The Guardian as Britain's greatest living anti-comedian, and I've described him to other guests on this show in the past, as being like Tommy Cooper, but for jokes. In the same way that Tommy Cooper, would he was a magician who whose magic would deliberately go wrong and seem out of control, even though he knew what he was doing. Ed, I've always said, is similar, but for the art of telling jokes and performing stand-up comedy. He appears not to know what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing. It's absolutely breathtaking and um, not always the easiest to get into. And I have been to shows that Ed's done where uh, you can see that some people are not understanding the finesse. They're not familiar enough with the codes and conventions of comedy that he is playing with. But then at the same time, there is a strong clowning element to what he does. We're going to talk about all of these things and indeed how he is even more reliable in his absurdity these days. Uh, And we're going to talk about all of that in just a moment. Quick reminder, there's extra material available from this episode at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. That said, this is Ed Axel. Let's talk a little bit about the kind of furrow that you're ploughing. Oh, fuck you... yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's much of a furrow, but yeah, I mean... It... I mean, you are, you are unlike, you're unlike anyone else. Yes, yes. So... Uh, There are a group of comedians, all of which can be described as mavericks, can't they, really, really ultimately. And, uh, I mean, sort of Trevor Locke and um, Paul Foote and, you know, um, Munnery and people like that, that... they're all doing something that's unique and different, and and for people outside the UK, I imagine people like Neil Hamburger, yeah. Norm Macdonald, yeah, I the, mean, yeah, you know, a, yes. a, a small but recognisable yeah. yeah. sect, yeah, oddballs, oddballs, yeah. and I'm um, hopefully um, somewhere on the outside of that oddball sect. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> OK. And, not and, not uh, unmoorable, but I'm an oddball, you know. Yeah, and, and you're an oddball amongst oddballs because you, even within that group, there are certain things that, that you do very differently. Like, I can't think of anyone. I can't think of anyone who has your sort of pace, your sort of whatever the opposite of dynamism is, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. I can't think of anyone that's that's exploring that territory 
with the the uh, commitment <laughs> they needed. Yeah, yeah, exploring the territory in a very uncommercial way. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's How can I good. possibly yeah. not make money in yeah, this? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's tricky, um, you know. I, there are, yeah, I, I'm... I mean, exploring a very... I, I've got myself into a groove which is is highly unique and very, very distinct from everybody else. Yeah. Anti-comedy. So bad it's good. That's the aim of... You know, it's got to go wrong. It's got to go wrong. It's got to be slow. It's got to be rambling. It's got to, you know... I do think it's sharp as well. I do think there's some sharp ideas there, but it, it, it badly executed, you know, is the aim. You've just reminded me, I used to describe you to people. I'm quite evangelical about your work. Right, um, right. I, I think, uh, I feel we started at a sort of similar time, we, so we kind of bumped into we each did, other on that we period did, of the Ethiopian circuit. And uh, I think there are certain things that I... Uh, that I'm very drawn to. I've never seen anyone split a room like you. Yeah, I like, know. I, I remember being in the, the underbelly whenever you played. Well, it, was right. a, it was a one of the arch-shaped rooms. Yeah, 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 yeah. Quite a wide room. I don't remember the yeah. name of it. And the audience was down the middle, killing ourselves laughing and just angry to the verge of shouting yeah, yeah. about how much they hated and didn't understand it. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I feel like um, the way... Oh, that's what I was going to say. The way I used to describe you to people was he, he's like Tommy Cooper, but for jokes instead of magic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Someone said I was a verbal clown, so it was... Yes. I think that was James Kettle, um, that, it's, that it was clowning, but it was verbally. Anyway, yeah, anyway. so instead of kind of making, like, the things that I associate with, inverted commas, clowning in the kind of contemporary, mm. the way we the way clowning mm. is done yeah, these yeah. days, it's sort of like, it's very sort of physical. If you think of Dr. Brown kind of yeah, physical, making those kind of yeah. impulses and doing yeah, something, yeah. I'm, I'm miming here. And, I'm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah beautifully miming, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's lost, yeah. There's, there's a lot of sort of physical stuff, whereas... Yeah. You are very, very antithetical to that, but still clowning. It's almost like the offers you're making are quotes about Wittgenstein. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. just sort of refusing to make eye contact with us. It's really, not just the absence of those things, but the opposite of those sort of physical things. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, um, I wouldn't say... I mean, there's... Um, the way I started the act... I mean, there was no grand plan or anything. It was not, you know, the way I started it was that's what it was. It was just a series of ideas and me standing there, take it or leave it. And that was who I was. And over a period of time, it's developed, I think. But ultimately, at the core of it, it's me. You know, that's the way I am. You know, I'm not particularly energetic um i do i, I you know I, I i do think about sort of big ideas quite a lot but not very successfully <laughs> <laughs> so you know ultimately that that to a certain extent is an extension of me i'm not you know i'm not it, it, it it's not as much of an act as it looks i think sometimes 
sometimes okay. sometimes it's some, sometimes it's more me than you know sometimes the and the difficulty is is as a comedian you get very stuck in your ways as well do you know do you find that you get you're stuck in a group of you know a particular way of telling a joke a particular way of doing things and it's become because i've done so much i've i've got a a group of things that work you know a series of ideas that that tend to work dependent on the day obviously but edinburgh and places like that are good for me and festivals like Macfest and all of those places are good good because they kind of are happy to embrace the different I think I think that's you mean the audience yeah yeah audiences are happier much more happier to see something that's at an angle or slightly abstract and and that's kind of where my home is really I think I remember doing the BBC. I, 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 I still believe I f- totally fluked all of that. You know, the my, new actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely fluked it. I did, in fact, you know, one of the semis, no, the quarterfinal. Um, I said, "Well, I'll do the to myself." I said, "I'll do the gig, do the gig, and then then I'll just give up." You know, that would be my last gig. So I can't be bothered with this. And something. Which, which aspect of it could you not be bothered with? How do you mean? I was too lazy. I was working in an office. You know, who gives yeah. a shit? Somehow I got through the quarterfinal and then I got through to the semi-final um, and then I got to the final. But the people in the final, obviously, you know, um, of the oddballs, I suppose, is me and John Luke Roberts mm-hmm. were in the final. But the person who came first was Tom Allen. Mm. And this is the BBC one. Yeah, in it was in Cardiff. No, it wasn't. No, no it was in the Comedy Store. In okay, which one am I thinking of? Because I did one with with Tom Allen that he won. Yeah, he yeah, everything. yeah, yeah. He won everything, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. yeah, and he won. So you think you're funny as well? Yeah. Um, so Tom Allen won the BBC, the final of the BBC, and Sarah Medican came second, and I came second as well. Yes. Yes. Okay. And I, fl- I must have fluked that. I and, mean, you know, I, d- I don't know how I did that. I did, you know. Well, I think, in, I mean, you were you were very, very funny. I remember yeah, you at yeah. that time. You were yeah. very, very funny. And also, you were 100% different to everyone else on the bill. Yes. You weren't presumably walking around backstage thinking, oh, I hope no one does anything on Sunday. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I wasn't worried. I wasn't worried anybody was going to do that. I, I, I remember... And I don't know whether it makes a big difference, and I think it probably does, is anxiety before you go on stage. I, in those days, the level of anxiety before I went on was so great that I think it it actually helped me in a big way because of just the adrenaline, the nerves that... um, because I was literally forcing myself to stand on that stage, you know, and and the nerves, and I think that made a big, big difference. Because you never, because what what's bizarre about those kind of that that kind of era of that that I was in. I mean, I literally there were some gigs that I was 
I was so different, I suppose, that I, you know, I could, fl- you know, I, I could pull the roof off a room, you know, as an open spot, I would be the standout act of an evening, you know, and I think part of it, you know, I think part of it was, A, I was doing something that was completely different, and B, the nerves that I was, you know, that must have made some sort of difference. Do you think that when I mean this is the problem is is the longer you go go on in stand up the less nerves you have? Do you yes. find? Well, well it, varies, some... it varies. It varies. It varies. And I actually prefer going on stage now and having no nerves. I actually prefer if I've got a gig in the diary that day. I prefer actually only thinking about the gig about ten minutes before I go on stage. Yeah. That's what I prefer. Yeah, the best gig is if uh, someone rings you up and you're on the road and they you're you're, you're having a night off and they go, could you just pop in and do this? You know, yeah, because yeah, it, it hasn't ruined my day. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And not thinking about it, just not thinking about it. I um, think there are two types of there's there's kind of positive nerves when something's really important and you're excited about it. Yeah, and then there's a really positive total lack of nerves where you're playing your favourite room, you've killed it a hundred times there. And it's like stepping into a warm bath. Yeah. So you don't feel anything negative about it. It gives you enormous freedom. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I want, I want to ask why you were... If you look at... Because I, I don't... I'm, I think you did a course, did you? Is that how you Yeah, you I did started? the Amused Moose. I, I want to know why you were moved to do that. If you were in a position where you had a, a day job and you were suffering terribly from nerves, why did you want to keep going so and kind of draw what was it that you were drawn to okay so i was working in a boring job which was quite well paid at that point in time and was quite interesting um a boring job that was quite interesting well yeah you know it goes it went through phases so you know um so there were no real issues the the reality was that um I wanted to do something that was different. And I read something in the paper about um, uh, this course. And I think it was Shazia Mirza who'd worked as a civil servant and then done this course. It was one of those sort of Christmas things that you read in the Telegraph. You know, you're sitting, sitting at your parents' house reading the Telegraph, board step. And I thought, that's a good idea. And I, I just emailed them. I just, Hills Jago, but I just emailed them saying, yeah, um, I'd like to do it. You know, what's what's the harm? What's the risk? And I did the course, and as a consequence, there was the Jimmy Carr DVD. Yes. Comedy Idol. Yeah. Well, that was, so tell me about that. Before, before we get to that, what, what part in the kind of timing of that? You did the course... I want to talk to you about the course and how you brought yourself to it. That yeah. was before the... So I brought myself to the course principally because it was something interesting and it was something different. It, I didn't bring myself to do it because I hadn't been to a comedy gig for 10 years, 15 years. I'd been seen a bit of comedy at university. That's about it. And your first gig there... Did that become like I think of the first few years of you with with subject lines yeah, yeah. written on your hand in biro that you'd go now we're going to talk about the yeah, Pope yeah. now we're going to talk about the Spanish yeah, yeah, Armada yeah, yeah, yeah. was that what you were doing from the off no no 
Did you experiment with different things as as part of the course? Because what you've what you ended up with is something so innately you and so yeah, innately yeah, different. Yeah. I'm interested in whether there were missteps along the way where you were trying to be something else. No, no. Um, this this is where uh, you know. So, I found the course quite abstract. Actually, I didn't. It was really odd in the sense that I I kind of got out of the. I, we did the course and. I don't quite know what... I never quite understood what the course was about um, uh, because it was quite abstract and there was a sort of... There were sort of... Le- you know, there were gentle lessons on learning, on, you know, on how to perform and what to... You know, but they, they, were, very, they were gentle, you know. So th- you got to the end of the course and you were sort of in Mafeking territory. You've got to come up with something and go on stage in 10 minutes. So, you know, um, that's what I did. Um, I came up with something very quickly and went on stage. Um, the interesting thing is if you look at, if you go to, then go to the Jimmy Carr DVD, which was four gigs in, and that's available on you. I've rewatched yeah, that recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was four gigs in, um, and the you go to the rehearsal, the um, audition bit. Um, I was literally throwing myself at the door. I was, I was literally going, think of something in your own head, and just go and do it, <laughs> <laughs> which I did. That's what exactly what I did. And the, just to explain what that was, that was a sort of a DVD extra for a yeah for yeah a, a Jimmy yeah Carter yeah. DVD. But but you had to have this audition. You have to have this audition. What am I going to say? We spent all day in this this sort of club. I don't know what it was. It was there was about a hundred of a hundred no probably a hundred and fifty of us. Um, in that club for this audition, there were hundreds and hundreds of people. And you had about three minutes in front of Jimmy Carr. Um, And I went because we all got an email saying it was happening. Why not go? And I went because it was a day out. Why not? Um, And then, you know, you wait around most of the day and... Suddenly you've got to go on. What are you going to say? No idea. Just so popped this popped in my head. Go and do it. That was it. See what happens. That's nuts because it does. Yeah, it, it was seems, nuts. It well, was it, watching it. It seems like it's a set. It seems like yeah. it's a set you've worked on because yeah. it's got timing and rhythm and, yeah, and yeah. pauses and that thing that you do where you yeah. appear to be trapped in the circumstances I was winging of the gig. It. I was just to, to, totally winging it, and and that was the thing. Um, over a period of that year until the end of the BBC where uh, the final of the BBC I was winging it every time and and by then by the, by the time I'd got to the BBC it was more of an act it, it was an act just about but effectively I was winging it and th- this is the bizarre thing about that period was Because it was such a sort of high risk strategy, it could have gone either way. 
And it could have ended at the Jimmy Carr thing. They could have said, that's just rubbish. That was the most likely outcome. That's just rubbish. You know, know, stick at the day job type attitude. And if they had, I'd have walked away and stuck at the day job. You know, I wasn't determined. You know, there was no... There was no... I had no need to do it, you know, except enjoyment, you know. I was doing it for kicks, really, you know. And then I did the same, you know, the BBC. If I hadn't come runner-up or I hadn't gotten to the final, I could easily have just walked away. You know, it was a, it was just a bit of a laugh. So th- these that, in terms of me continuing in comedy... That was my A, have fun, and B, ride the wave. Just ride the wave as long as it... And and what was bizarre is the wave seemed to be somewhere going in my direction. And I was... I just carried on. And I did Edinburgh uh, the following year, and that was a big, big success. And then you know, carried on for three, four years. And, it, you know, really, there was a lot of work that went into the Edinburgh shows, but the first show, no work went into it at all. What are you going to do? Uh, well, I've got 30 minutes at the Edinburgh City Football Club, uh, you know. That is a venue I've not heard of. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> in 25 I years. Yeah, I know. It was the Edinburgh <laughs> City Football Club, which is on in Leith. Okay. Free festival. Yeah. And it was at twelve twenty or something. 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 So basically, if if you were gonna if you were gonna get the least, you know, the the probably the worst spot in Edinburgh. That was that was that's got to be on the list. <laughs> but it was amazing. It was an amazing. It was like a you know, you know, started slow. Kate Copstick came to the first one with. Two other people, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, we, uh, we winged it every day. Me, John Smith, and Matt Brown. You know, we just uh, we, yeah. we we just mucked around every day. And every, by the end of it, you know, Jimmy Carr said on the Culture Show the, the on the last weekend that it was the funniest thing he'd seen on the Fringe. You you know, this was the bizarre thing about those days. It was suddenly. People were. I th- thought it was amazing. Uh, none of us knew what it was. So this is Ed. It's such a joy to talk to him, and he really is a fusion of clowning and stand-up. Uh, it, it's uh, really genuinely. It's such a pleasure to watch someone forging their own territory. He's described. Well, I call him in the sh- in the show notes for this an oddball amongst oddballs. Um, if you'd like to go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, then you can get hold of some extra material, uh, including Ed, on the context of the oddball act, the, the, the context of oddball comedy, in fact, um, as well as a recap of the clown course led by Dr. Brown, Phil Burgers, uh, who I did an episode with many years ago, very influential figure in, in comedy in Britain and all over the world. 
Um, Ed and I found themselves on one of Dr. Brown's clown courses together, and uh, we discussed that a little bit. Worth uh, listening if you're an insider or would like to support the show with a regular donation and become an insider. Comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Now, uh, T-shirts are nearly there. People, I can tell T-shirts are nearly there because it's that time of year when people start emailing me and commenting in the Comedians Comedian Facebook group saying, so have they been posted yet? No, they get posted on the 1st of February. That was always the plan. That's what it said on the merch page. On, that's what it said on the merch page. But um, I, I suspect you're unable now to check because I've altered what it said on there broadly to say they're sold out. I haven't gone back to it now to check whether or not it does make that explicit. I'm sure it does. And if it doesn't currently, it did once. You've just got to trust me. You will get them within February, I promise. Now, um, a little bit more. I think I said now twice there, but ah, leave it in. We haven't got time to cock about. Book now, remember, for some live podcasts. There is going to be the, the 2nd of February at Vault Festival. It's a, it's a Saturday, 2nd of February, 4.30pm. I am interviewing police cops, uh, otherwise known as the Pretend Men. They have taken Edinburgh by storm in the last few years, doing amazing three-hand, very sweaty, acrobatic, very, very funny, high speed, costume change, sight gag, verbal gag stuff. They're kind of like um, like a really frantic pyjama men and there's three of them and they're a bit different. So if you're fans of that kind of stuff, get along and see them at the Vault Festival in London. I believe they're on uh, the, the January the 31st and February the 1st at 10.45 at the Vault Festival and come along on February the 2nd at 4.30pm for that one. You can find the, the link to those, uh, uh, those sales pages in the show notes. Also on March the 23rd at 1pm as part of the Birmingham Podcast Festival, there is a live special ComCom pod with a big, big guest as yet unannounced. So jump on that and show me, prove to me your loyalty, my uh, loyal ComCom fans, by just taking a punt on that and booking tickets for it before I even tell you who it is. Read between the lines as much as you like there. Right, that's all of that. Email me info at comedianscomedian.com if you would like to get in touch to suggest anything about the podcast. The post amble is going to be very quick at the end of this one because I have bags and bags to do. The year is gearing up and lots of things are happening. Um, uh, I will tell you all about um, oh some gigs at the weekend. Oh, that's, that's all for the for the post amble. Um, and of course, my own tour, comedianscomedian.com slash tour. I'm getting gearing up ready for the for the uh, the first leg, the tour, the mini tour that's taking place uh, in spring. I think we start at the end of February. Uh, and also at the end of the show, some exciting news about the Edinburgh Festival. Now it's back to Ed Axel. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Talk to me about your relationship with the stuff that you do and whether you know when it's working. Like, do you understand, like, when, when, when you're lifting the roof off a club as an open spot, did you know why? No. Really? <laughs> not really. Not really. Not 
and and this is the interesting thing is is and this is the interesting thing about about some gigs that you do you know you, there are gigs that you lift the roof off on these days and you kind of reconcile in your head it's a, it, it you know it's a it, a lot of it's a combination of things that you know you roll the dice and they're all in your favor like what sorts of things great audience you know a bit of tension in the room you know all of those kinds of things these days you you, you know um yeah you're on the right spot in the bill you're you know all, all of those kinds of things you, you, you kind of know now what it is that you know allowed you to pull the roof off and also why the next day you could do another gig as flat you you kind of know the distinction but in those days i didn't know the distinction i didn't understand the distinction so what so you were going into battle as it were with, with like you're you're stepping out on stage possibly very nervous yeah and what is it? Because I, I know there will be people listening to this who haven't seen you, and we're sort of we're sort yeah. of half describing what it is that you do. Yeah, you, yeah. You kind of. I was blind in those days, completely blind, no idea, and I I was conscious that you got to make people laugh. That was the that was the key to it. Just make people laugh. Just clown around and make people laugh. Do whatever you can, and that's what I did. And that's that's interesting because to me that kind of. Um, it's like you're not up there to say something meaningful. Some people are like, some people, some comics you see them, it's always like the audience laughing is secondary to them making their point. For yeah, example. yeah. Um, you, you're, you're a really interesting combination of, um, of, those, of those different elements of comedy because if you are like a clown, I mean, that's a, that's a pure clowning thing, isn't it? Yeah. Do whatever it takes to make them laugh, most, most often, most commonly, yeah. physically. But at the same time, you're not kind of, um, you're not kowtowing to them at all. You're yeah. not going to change what you do in order to make them laugh. Do you see what I mean? That's a, that's yeah, a really yeah. unusual yeah, thing. Yeah. It's like, I'll do anything I can to make you laugh within a very specific set of things <laughs> that I'm absolutely not going to budge from. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm... you would, you, like, what's the first bit that you remember thinking? Well, that's how I taught bit? myself. I mean, this, this is the problem really when it gets down to it is is with me stand up was completely self-taught and and that, in some ways that's what i love about it and that that's what i still love about it is that it's all about you you know in the sense that you do what you're free you know you decide what you're going to say um no, no one else does. You, you create your own thing, and the, there's no other art form where the, there's that much freedom. Really, I mean, it's just, just, it's just, you know, all you got to do is make him laugh, and that's that's it. Yeah, and other than that, sort of, it is whatever you say it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you create your own thing. You create your own world, and and, most... and stand up is stand up is unique in that. Is that is is it? It's just you and a microphone, and that's it. You and microphone and audience, 
that's uh, you've got a blank canvas. I think it's interesting that um, certainly all stand-ups create our own worlds. Yeah. But most of us choose to do so in a way that is not too dissimilar from the world created <laughs> to the person next. It's like, yeah, here's yeah. my take on the world. And for a lot of comics, our take on the world is something that must be relatable to yeah, everyone, yeah. to the audience's understanding. Yeah, of the world. yeah, yeah. But it's almost like you're going, not only am I going to do my take on the world, but it, it's as different from regular stand-up as uh, a painter is from a novelist. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, and I'm just because you, because you're bringing yourself to this, or you did in the past as a as a kind of regular day jobbing marketing yeah, you know, yeah. office job person. I'm wondering where the kind of where the uh, intestinal fortitude came from to keep going on the times when it didn't work. Okay. Like, so just, so so the big advantage. So I had that dreamlike first year. You know, um, I had a you know it was an absolute dream that first year. It, you know, it couldn't have gone better. So, first few gigs, uh, then Jimmy Carr DVD, a real shot in the arm, getting into the final of the Jimmy Carr DVD, storm that gig, great feeling, comedy store. Then somehow getting into the final of the BBC and um, coming runner-up. And then they gave me a prize, you know, all of that sort of stuff, £1,000. That They gave me a car. And, you know, they drove me. Um, all of those kind of things. Just that, that after the first year and following that after Edinburgh... Um, when I first went up, the feeling that I was onto something was 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 there, and I and I think if I hadn't had that encouragement, um, I wouldn't have wouldn't stuck with it. Yeah, it's kind um, of like a macro version of when a lot of comics start. Their first gig is incredible, then the next ten are incredibly tough. Yeah, but yeah. that first one keeps you going. Like you had yeah, a yeah. year's worth of incredible first gigs, almost. Yeah, 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 and and that really encouraged me to just keep on keeping on you know uh, and and it was it's a long hard road and um you know there are lots of kind of wasted journeys and people, three people in a pub in Droitwich you know that that you do for for your art really but you know you you get through those uh, because i felt genuinely I was, I, you know, there was something there. There was something worth having there, you know, um, which is, which is why, you know, I've sort of kept going really, um, because every every now and again, you 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 know, you realise, you know, how much fun it is, <laughs> you know. But now it's more fun than, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say now, well, doing my current act, and I, I don't know, it may change for Edinburgh this year, but um, it's it, it's easy, a lot easier than it was. Do you find that it's easier now than it was? 
Yes. And no. Obviously, yes and no. Because yeah. <laughs> you see, this is the bizarre thing. Is 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 It's a yes and no because you, I still die. You know, I still have gigs where I, I die flat on my ass and I feel like an idiot. Um, but more and more, that doesn't happen. And if it does happen, I don't care so much. I, I don't have the... I, I'm annoyed. You know, you know, spend the next day going, well, well, bust, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, blame, I then blame the audience or blame the promoter or blame, um, I don't know, you know, Brexit or something. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, and I move on. And, uh, but uh, also the highs are lower, I find. The highs are lower. I can storm a gig now. I can really, really storm a gig and walk away and forget it. Dissipates faster, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like no, any drug. Yeah, yeah. It, it means less. Far, far less. You know, chirpier the next day, or well, you know, you know, told you I was good type thing. But really, you know, two days later it's gone. And and this is the funny thing about live comedy. The immediacy about it is 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 because it's live, it's over. You know, everybody got up the following day, went to work. They're not thinking about anything. <laughs> you, you know, it, it, it's a moment in time that that no longer exists. It was just a moment in time. Do, do, you, do you? I find that is uh, maddening. <laughs> I, find well, I find it harder in the sense that you know you can have great, great gigs and almost in the scheme of things, you know, it's meaningless. It, it it doesn't change anything. You know, particularly tour gigs, actually. You know, you do a great tour gig in, you know, I don't know, um, I'm trying to think, but you do, you know, uh, I, you know... Let's so, say Lincoln. For yeah, some Lincoln or something. <laughs> you know, and it, you know, it's a room, you know, there's probably about 40 people there. You saw me, you have a great gig, you enjoy it, everybody loves you at the end, you, you love them, and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. It, it might as well not have happened. <laughs> there's no value to it. You know, there's almost, you know... Do, do you think that would be different if there were 10 times more people there? I, I don't know. Um, uh, possibly. Possibly, I, I, I actually, I'm not a hundred percent sure of whether I would. No, I, I don't think it would make any difference at all. Because the thing happens, it finishes, and that's that. Yeah, and that's what's good over. about it, and that's what's bad yeah, about it. It's over. It's over. You know, it's over. Yeah, you know, they paid, they paid a fiver to see you or a tenner to see you. That that that's the transaction. It's done. Yeah. Is there any is there anything you could say to Ed Axel of ten years ago to improve what he was doing now. faster? Yeah, is there anything you now could say? Could you like, in terms of the lessons you've learned along those? Three, well, I was hoping three the other way around that Ed Axel ten years ago would tell me how to improve things now. <laughs> um, but no, I. I it was a journey. It was an adventure. I mean, that was the great thing about it in those days. It, it was a, it was an adventure, and it was instinctive. 
anything that was funny was instinctive. So it was instinctively funny. It wasn't, you know, uh, I was using everything in my armory to get a laugh. Everything. And that is that different from now? Yes, it's it's a lot different from now in, in, in the ter- sense that now I'm sort of looking for a rhythm or trying to be cheeky or dealing with the... I didn't like dealing with the audience. In the, in the, that's something that takes or took me a number of years. To find a way for you to deal with them in keeping with how you are on Keeping stage. with the act and also, yeah, it, sort of breaking the fourth wall and um, making them just as much part of the gig as, as I am, you know, Audience participation, I like now. You know, I do a lot more of that. You've got a bit about uh, asking what broadband provider. Yeah, yeah, or something like that. You know, just just spending, just messing with people, just mucking around. That took a long, longer than... It, I find it easy, a lot more easy, easier to do that now. So stuff like those, those kinds of things are less... Unless, you know, there's less, I've got less anxiety about, you know. So tell me what, what anti-comedy means to you. I don't know, do you describe yourself as an anti-comedian or is that just something that other people... Do I just... Well, no, I, I, I think I probably am an anti-comedian in the sense that it, it, it's so bad it's good. I think. And what are what are the rules to that? Just if you look at the the idea of interacting with an audience, like it's easy for Johnny comedian to chat to a person in the crowd because it's in keeping with his persona. He's going to talk to them in the audience, find out something about them, and make a joke about it. Now, for you as someone who doesn't make jokes about things so much as you sort of set up the circumstances under which we might expect there to be a joke any minute. Yeah, yeah. And then kind yeah. of blithely ignore those circumstances. I'm not even quite sure what it is. Um, so my, I suppose my line of questioning is, it must be harder to establish those circumstances with a fellow player, with someone in the audience who you're talking to. And and what that makes me think is, well, what are those circumstances? What is it? What is anti-comedy that you do? What is it? Is it, is it about setting up the expectation of a joke and then denying it? I don't know. Um... So, um, it's about creating tension, I think, you know, ultimately. But anti-comedy, um, you know, w- what you do is you create the tension um, in the room in a slightly different way, in a slightly more unexpected way, I think. So, it, it, I mean... It, Somehow you find a way of bursting that tension, even if it's not, and, and you try and avoid the conventional route of a set up punchline type thing. You know, you try and you try and you try and play with the tension in the room in a way that distinguishes, n- not distinguish it, but is un- people laughing at unexpected moments. That I think is the distinction that you. The audience feels in some ways that they're being messed with, really. <laughs> you know, you know it, the whole thing's a bit of a rug pull. You know, you, you know, 
you're pulling the rug from under them all the time. Um, but I, I wouldn't say, you know, I mean, I'm not like a purist, I, you know, in terms of what anti-comedy is. It, it, it appears on the surface to be dreadful. I think that's the nice thing about it. So Tommy Cooper's magic on the surface appeared to be absolutely dreadful. You know, it appeared to be, you know, three bathroom ducks and, a, you know, um, and somehow he would do a magic trick that didn't really work and sort of kept on falling apart. And that was where the humour lay is, 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 in, is in it everything going wrong for him and everything going, being on, just being, what well, you know. It's that, that clowning element of suffering. Yeah, yeah. Like we're seeing someone attempt to be a magician. Yeah, and yeah. And fail. Yeah. And suffer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And does that, is that applicable to what yeah, you Yeah, I think so. I like, yeah, I like the idea that, that I'm standing there suffering just as much as the audience are. Yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. like to try and, that's yeah. like one of those yeah. MC rules of like you, as a host, you should always be one drink behind the crowd. Like, <laughs> the Ed Axel should always be suffering nearly as much as his audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It should be, yeah, it should be as boring to me as it is to them. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, uh, in terms of, you know, and you get into a rhythm sometimes with with particular audiences. It, it, I I would say it's it, it the anti comedy element is that it it you know um, the idea you know I try and explore ideas that nobody really cares about exploring, like the Cold War or mm-hmm. you know Spanish uh, Armada. Yeah, Spanish, I, I think of that as kind of a yeah, 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 I can really yeah, imagine yeah, you yeah. looking at your hand and reading out yeah. Spanish Armada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and and it's it's just it's just sort of taking you because sometimes comedian good comedians will take you to a place you didn't expect to go. And in a sense, I mean, if I was observing observational comedians, one of the things, one of the tricks of the trade is to take your audience to a place they weren't planning to go to and explore that place, you know. Um, and one of the things, that things like the Spanish Armada were, one of the ideas behind it, if there were indeed ideas behind it, one of the ideas behind it was that you were taking taking the audience to a place that they didn't want to go. <laughs> Not only they didn't want to go, but you know they didn't, they couldn't imagine ever wanting to go to. You know, so so that was the logic of it of those kind of that kind of thing. And I suppose the most of the stuff I do is about you know you know. I like some of my shows I like doing sort of exploring the meaning of life or the random nature of life or you know um, all of those things and ultimately I take the audience to a place that they they weren't planning on going and you know given given half the chance would never go to ever (laughs) anyway that's the that's the idea at least I remember you uh often had a structure to your show which would be like either a corporate presentation a list of goals 
You know, right. as if you, it was almost as if you were reading or had read a manual on how to do yeah, a yeah. show, yeah. seen through the prism of yeah, yeah, a yeah. kind of a corporate structure. So these are my these are my goals for the show. Yeah, yeah. Okay, tactics. How am I going to get there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that would give you a structure from which to hang <laughs> nothing. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, a structure yeah. from which to hang your 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 failure, your suffering. Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Well, the, there were two things, two, two, I mean, there was, there was some logic to that in, in some way, but the logic was um, that when you're planning a show, you have to do certain things. You know, you've got your, you've got to open with a joke and, um, and then you've got to do a few more jokes, you know, settle the audience in for the first 20 then you've got the middle 20, which is, the you know, the, the hard bit to keep them, you know, all the shows have a structure. Every show has a structure. Why not just tell everybody what the structure is and how you're getting on within the structure? You know, so so why why not take, you know, as opposed to, you know, ju- just make it as laborious as possible. But part of the trick of other act shows is... Everything that you're telling them you're going to do is in that show. It's just they're not going to tell you about it. You know, that's the smoke and mirrors. That's the that's the bit that's kind of hidden, it's, you know. The, there's a funny thing that, you know, if you go and see a comedian, they do the same show twice. If you go and see them on two, two different nights. It's a structure. Every show has got, every show, you know is worked out on a blackboard in one form or another. It's a series of ideas, but done in a, you know, done in done in a certain order and to mean a certain thing. And I f- thought it was a funny idea just to expose that and make it... make it part of the, the amusement that this is a problem I've got to solve. I do a show, you know, and and a lot of it was about the the the, the there's a, when you make say corporate, there was an element of I was also at the same time doing presentations to various people in a very dark way, which always started with an agenda and went through the points laboriously and ended with a thank you very much, thanks for coming, you know, type thing, you know. Um, so the, I was coming from a corporate place as well, I think. And you're, I remember seeing at the beginning of one of your shows a long time ago, you, it was it Serge Gainsbourg or someone, there was a, you would, you wore a scarf and glasses and you were singing, but you were singing along, was was it? That was Charles Aznavour. Oh, Aznavour, of course it was, yeah, okay. Yeah, that was Aznavour. And I I remember seeing in in that particular bit, you, you were kind of singing along, but not... Yeah. well or out loud yesterday or, when I was young yes kind of mumbling along almost with the song yeah, yeah. for quite some time yeah 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 and yeah. I remember seeing like I, I was delighted with that because I remember thinking oh right this is I, I felt like I was getting a bit of a way into the way your mind worked I was like oh this oh, no. is how he does it what you do is you think of a thing that a performer's supposed to do and you attempt it badly and fail at it yeah yeah so rather than opening on a song you're 
singing along to something that you're a bit quieter than anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yes, yes. Th- there's an element that I'm playing the game of trying to be a performer. Yes. And um, the character in some way, so there's an element of sort of character comedy, the, the character is... Um, is going through the ropes, <laughs> you know. But I, I don't. I actually don't quite know why I did the Charles Aznavour song. I always used to love that song because it was so, it, it was so melodramatic. There was just something beautiful about yesterday where I was young. It was sort of so melodramatic, and sort of it, it, it was a sort of slightly kitschy sort of seventies song where. You know, you'd you'd watch it on Des O'Connor. He'd be on Des O'Connor tonight, and you know, you, you know, the the next guest would be Petula Clark or Sasha Distel, and and I just loved that. I I really loved mocking it in some ways. I don't know. Anyway, there we are. Well, why? Why? What? What, what aspect <laughs> of it? Because it was a lovely, it's a lovely song, really lovely song, beautifully written. And when done seriously, is meant to touch a chord and touch an emotion, give you a certain emotional reaction. But if you somehow completely destabilise it, then it becomes very funny at the same time because you. you well, it's stupid. <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a fine line between something being stupid and being sort of tragic. You know, I, I don't know. There's a, there's a uh, I don't know. I'm trying to think, you know, some with great actors, there's, there's a distinction between them being great actors at any one moment in time and being very pompous sort of idiots. Yes. Yes. So, so I think that was that's what I was trying to plough in a very, ob- not obvious way, but in a very um, overt way was the distinction. You know, just how ridiculous it all was to even ever think about it. Something I've I've noticed from uh, interviewing some oddballs on this podcast. Yeah. Is Who've that you had? They, oh, lots of models. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of weirdos like a lot, me. Lot of, lot yeah. of weirdos. None like you. Lots yeah, of weirdos. Yeah, but yeah. but something that they often have had in common is and I is something to do with getting angry at the audience for not getting it. Sam Simmons, I remember. Oh, really? I really surprised me by saying that that he was. I, I sort of when you're doing this incredibly absurd stuff and they're not laughing. Do you feel like you're failing? And I think he said words to the effect of, no, I'm angry with them because they're stupid that they can't get, you know, they, not that they're stupid, but I'm angry with them that they can't get it. And you mentioned that these days oh, you're more... I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that. In, in, I, no, I'm not, I'm not in the Sam Simmons. I, I, I still feel I failed. So I still feel I've completely... I'm, as I'm standing there, I still feel, if you're not laughing, I've failed. And how does that feel? Because That I... doesn't make me angry. It means it makes me feel inept. 
And but okay, you failed and you're inept. Is there an emotional weight attached to that? Do you feel bad? Does it ruin your day? Do you feel sad? Do you feel like you've because I, if I, I think what I'm getting at is if I, think I, by if now I take just... the risks that you take and fail, I would want to kill myself. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I would, I'd feel so negative and personally, like, I, I would feel awful for having failed. Yeah, I mean... Please don't now kill yourself. <laughs> no, <laughs> you see what I mean? No, I, I wouldn't say... I... The, while you're on stage, there's a game in town, yeah? People aren't laughing. There's got to be a way to make them laugh. And that's... I think that's possibly where Sam Simmons and I are... Um, a kind of on the same page, is if... If he's running around, people aren't laughing... He gets angry with them. He's trying to find a way to make them laugh. I I do the same. I try and find a way. Whatever you can, make him laugh. Even if it's only once. Just try and make him laugh. Find something that's going to make him laugh. But afterwards, I think that there is a genuine feeling of, of being inept. But different gigs play differently, you know. It's like Edinburgh. You know, you, you have one gig, you know... You, you pull the roof off the following day, you, ca- you can't get arrested, you know. You know, the, I, th- I, I don't know, but it's, it's, feeling of, it's, it's a feeling of being inept, I think. If but you... I accept, I, I think the, the, I think I'm happy, I, I, I'm kind of accept the ineptness that I've got. I, I, I kind of know I'm a loser anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it, in some ways, it just reaffirms my original opinion of being a loser. Whereas when I do well, that—that's a surprise. It's the doing well that's the surprise. Not, you know, that's not the. <laughs> genuinely, that's genuinely doing doing well is 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 the difference. You know, it, I feel better doing well, but if I do badly what's new you know that's a very that's I feel like there's an inherent kind of clown yeah, truth yeah, in that. Yeah, yeah I am yeah I am an idiot anyway you know <laughs> it's funny but I suppose that's the way I feel anyway but um, there's less at stake now than there used to be sort of performing stand up because well there's less money in it there's less um it matters less um so i do a lot of sort of kind of castings ads that kind of thing and sort of acting work and that seems to be in terms of the product you know in terms of just purely standing up on stage and making people laugh that seems to be much more profitable <laughs> these days, really. So I've done a couple of sitcoms. This what, Lee and Dean. Have you heard of Lee and Dean? It's uh-huh. on Channel Four. Um, I'm a character called Uncle Brian, um, and that's usually good because 
that's an improvised. So there's a, it's an improvised comedy. So you know, you try and uh, each scene is unique, and you know, that's quite challenging. Um, I did a bit of acting with John Cleese. Um, I was in. Have you heard of Hold the Sunset? No. It, it it's John Cleese, Alison Steadman, those kind of things. I did a scene with John Cleese earlier in the year. Um, Is this a, a sitcom or a movie? A sitcom. A sitcom. Okay. So, I was in The Crown earlier in the year. You were in The Crown. I know. Playing The Crown. I know. Um, I was a Labour politician, George Brown. Okay. In the. Uh, who, Harold Wilson beats him to the leadership of the Labour Party. I'm sorry to hear that because I love the moments when I'm watching something I don't know that someone's going to be in. Yeah, yeah. Bloody hell! (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I was in The Favourite, Yorgos Lanthimos. No, I don't know that. Um, You've not heard of Rachel Weisz? I've heard of Rachel Weisz. Olivia Coleman. I know. The Favourite's on, about to be released. It's It's sort of a big, classy film. Very small part in that. Okay, but that's kind of what I do these days, and that I like that because it's different. It's you know, you've got to catch a moment. You know, you got the performance is unique. You know, with castings, it it's you. You know, you've got to be a bank manager. You know, jumping off. You know. The Eiffel Tower, five minutes with one leg in his air, in the air. It's unique. You've got unique moments, and you've 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 got to create them at that moment in time. I like that because it that is distinct from stand up, which becomes formulaic. I think, and, oh. and, and finding a way out of that formulaic, becoming finding a way out of being a one trick pony. I think is the is the is the big thing, I've, and I, I was very interested in what Luke's trying to do because I think he tried to move away from what he was and become something else. Mm. Um, and I'd like to do that certainly on stage, but it, it's very difficult because the world is full of weird now, <laughs> so it's very difficult to. Either maintain what you've already got, but if you don't maintain what you've already got, are you going to be distinct from anybody else? I think I think one way or another, I'm always going to be unique. You, you know, I don't think there's any way around that. I wonder if in um, in a casting context, you have the superpower of having been in very awkward rooms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. that. Yeah, and and there's a great advantage about the sort of rhino hide of very awkward situations. Used to being in very awkward situations with a bunch of awkward people who don't want to really be there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you know, um, in a pub, sort of, you know, on a Friday night in, you know, North London somewhere and there's seven people and they're all staring at you going, I really don't want to see you. <laughs> you know, I've, I've done all those awkward... I'm good at awkward situations, yeah. Very good. And that presumably means in a casting situation, which yeah, I imagine yeah. can get very awkward, 
as yeah. you try to be a businessman jumping off the Eiffel Tower in front of three people yeah, who yeah. are variously interested or not. Yeah, 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 yeah. Actually, yeah. being able to have you have, as you say, that have to have that rhino hide. Yeah, and yeah. Just to keep doing the work as it occurs to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Despite yeah. the kind of potentially horrendous situation, that's. I mean, that's. You should, yeah. you should be teaching an acting I've, class. I, I, <laughs> you should be I, teaching I, a casting class. For, I, I, I feel no embarrassment. Yeah, I feel. I, I you know, uh, I, I don't. I, I literally uh, can do all of these situations without really thinking about it. Yeah, I, lo- I love them. I love them because they are so random, you know. And and I, I like the idea of acting. I mean, acting is acting is distinct from um, stand up in the sense that you know you are you are told to do something that is very very specific. You know, you're told to be a Russian aristocrat at the turn of the century and that is what they want. Can you do it? And there is a challenge in bending every sinew and nerve to be that as opposed to the stand-up where it's almost the world comes to you. Maybe the world shouldn't come to... Maybe maybe I'd be doing it wrong... But the world shouldn't come. But the world almost comes to you, and people come and see you. I mean, Stuart Lee had this great, great line, and this great joke where um, someone saying, "I saw you tonight. I paid ten pounds for the ticket, and I thought you were shit." Um, so, and Stuart said, "Well, you bought us a ticket tonight to see Stuart Lee, yeah?" Um, he says, "Yes." Well, I am Stuart Lee. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's all I am. You came to see me, you think I'm shit, fine. But I am Stuart Lee. That's it. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, maybe that's the distinction between acting and stand-up. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So, but that's the variation I like because that's, you know, that the acting brings and the casting brings is because it's, you know, I've got a casting this afternoon and, you know, it's, it's just the variation that I like, you know, you know, come up with something and deliver it and then walk away. It I goes won't... badly. This is the thing is, is that I've had years of stuff going really, really badly in front of people. If it goes badly, what's changed, you know? But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you nail it and you get the part and you're in the crown. I do wonder whether in your future there is a Dave Johns style getting the right opportunity with the right yeah, yeah. director. And, and then, uh, although in his case, obviously, Dave was able to become famous for the movie and then uh, tour his stand-up show because he does regular stand-up and he could talk about the experience of auditioning and being in the movie. Yeah. I wonder if you become a massive movie star in a Mike Lee film would you want to then tour Ed Axel as Ed Axel currently does stand up? Yeah, yeah, I would. I would. I would. I would like to do that. Um it depends. Um I like acting. I like you know I like that world. And and funnily enough it's a bigger world 
than stand-up. Stand-ups are quite a small world in some ways. I find stand-up... Although, having said that, I've I've probably only inhabited quite small areas of stand-up. But in some ways, stand-up is... There's a limit to what you can do to get on television or panel shows. That 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 world is is actually in itself quite small. Um, whereas acting, there's a kind of the world is much bigger. Do you feel like a success? No, good God, no! I'm a failure. Throughout whatever I do throughout my life, I will always be a failure. <laughs> There's no two ways about it. One way or another, I'll find an angle to tell myself, whatever I'm done, I'm a loser. Are you happy? No. Good God. Well, yes, yes. I'm actually very contented. Um, I've taken this year off Edinburgh and I've, take, I've sort of taken my foot off the pedal of the last year or so and I've been much happier doing that. Actually, gigging less. I get very tired of the travelling. Was, was, travelling and anxiety... I'd, funnily enough, I got very quite OCD about before I went on stage. I'd always make sure I had, you know, my watch on, you know, you know, bits of paper, and you know, arrive. I don't miss that anxiety. I don't miss that level of anxiety, constant anxiety. Do you find that you you have anxiety sometimes, but but, but buried anxiety? If it's if yeah. it's like a five, if you're on stage five nights a week, there's a level of anxiety that you carry around. Absolutely, that you you can't explain and you you, you know you can't rationalise it. It is just there. There's just this knowledge of you know you know two hundred people. Being a bit nasty. So that was Ed. Now listen, you might have heard us mention there, and uh, I will certainly mention now in the spirit of fessing this up, I was supposed to put this one out earlier because tonight, the day I'm recording this, Monday the 21st of January, Ed is at the Bill Murray doing uh, doing his show, Ed Axel. Ed Axel is infinite. And... Um, uh, I have lunched out and cocked up and failed to get this episode out in time. I made a note of it, um, but it wasn't in the main place I keep all my notes. Ed, I can only apologise. Uh, I hope lots of people went to your show. I punted it on the Facebook group, and um, I, I'm sure it sold very well. Many, many apologies for not getting this out when I said I would. I am sorry. I will try to do better in future. So please, if you've enjoyed this episode, you can see Ed's stuff on YouTube, but do try and get him live because it is just such an extraordinary experience. I'm such a fan of Ed's work and enormously apologetic and groveling that I didn't manage to get this out a week or two sooner when I said that I would. Mea culpa. I've never said that before. Is that how you pronounce it? If not, I'm sorry. So uh, thanks to Ed. Thank you to Peter Dobbing, podcast consultant Nathan Wood for the editing and uploading of the show. Uh, Thank you to Acast for hosting the show. And thank you to who else? Rob Smouten for the music. Oh, I keep wanting to say something exciting about Rob, but I'm going to wait until it's officially announced. That is that. Um, I've got a quick chat with you about an injury and a couple of gigs. But yes, I mentioned the Edinburgh Festival. You know I'm taking a year off this year. 
And, you know, last week I was agonising over whether it would be a sensible thing to do on my year off would be to go to Edinburgh. I might be doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm about a day away from just confirming it. I wish to check with my excellent wife that she is happy for me to go to Edinburgh and completely absorb myself in that festival again while she parents both of our children solo and we work out a way to move forward on that together. I feel like it's probably good for the mental health of our family, if by which I mean me, if that happens. I just need to just dot the I's and cross the T's and uh, hopefully that will go ahead. Oh, it'd be so exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm clearly excited about it. It's definitely a good thing to do, but, you know, responsibilities and also the sort of magical year off thing, right? It's no good turning up there day one thinking, oh God, this again, when you've just done 25 in a row, right? That's nuts. Anyway, lots of stuff to report back on soon. Um, that is that. Coming up next week, who have we got? Ooh, it's going to be Jake or Kay, Trevor or Jess or Eggsy or Toby. Or oh, I won't have done police cops by then. Ah, a couple of other people coming up soon. Some absolute belters in the can. Thank you for all of your positive feedback at ComComPod on all the socials and email info at comedianscomedian.com. Remember, you can get extra material from comedianscomedian.com slash insiders and uh, find out some behind-the-scenes-y gossipy stuff as me and Ed chat about our experiences on the Dr. Brown Clown course. That's all for now. Speak to you soon. And if you want to hang around, a little post-amble. But for now, that concludes the pod. Cast. So just a... Uh, Two quick things. I had such a great time in Lyme Regis. I made a tactical error. I went to the Marine Theatre in Lyme Regis, which was not the error. The theatre was fantastic. They're brilliant gig down there for fabulous comedian compare and uh, gig promoter Tom Glover, who I'm afraid to say I can't remember the name of the organisation, the night that he runs, but I believe that's his current, his main one, is the uh, the... Marine Theatre in Lyme Regis, which I'd recommend to anyone. What a room, what lovely people. And proper, proper, like a nice theatre with a bit of a lip on it, on the stage, a bit of, is that called an apron? Who knows? And and that kind of like um, plaster of Paris painted gold in swirls up the side, like, you know, like proper, like a theatre. Um, and uh, I had a wonderful, wonderful show there, worked with uh, Sandy Smith, who was very funny, Tom himself, and Dan Evans, who you will remember from episode two of this podcast some six or seven years ago, um, who just continues to churn out some of the churn out, <laughs> unthinking and uncaring. He churns out absolutely superb jokes. So great to see them. I was thinking of, of trying to add that venue to my tour before I went there. And then I went there and I, I suspect it was rammed and I feel like I've already done a big chunk of the show to everyone in Lyme Regis that's interested in comedy. So it might need to wait until the autumn bit, but we'll see. So thank you to everyone that came to that. Big shout out to Kate Duncan and also to Andy, name I can't remember, who said hello afterwards. But uh, uh, thank you for coming along and thanks for sticking around to say hi. Um, and also to Denzel, who popped in with a bunch of mates. So that's that. All, I'm, all I wanted to talk to you about, and very quickly, because there's so much on as, as the year ramps back up. I just wanted to briefly mention um, the, um, an injury <laughs> that I had. I, I flipped between feeling old and not very old. As soon as you get a little bit old, it's very easy when you're a bit neurotic to start feeling old, like it becomes a thing. My mum does this. I'm sure she thinks she's much older than she is, but I've, I'm absolutely doing this myself. I feel old and then I go, oh, I feel a bit old. And then it just becomes this narrative, you know, it's this sort of constant 
anxiety that's in the background. That's another thing. Every time I notice one, I'm like, oh, great, I'm going to be worried about that for the rest of my life. Anyway, I have been feeling, I've got this weird impacted, this is, <laughs> what's this called? A friend of mine calls this the organ recital, when elderly people meet and start listing what's wrong with their bodies. But this is a very specific point. I've done something to my knee, possibly from carrying my two children for long distances. Um, but it's it's not an injury, it just feels really, it's you know when a bruise, when it kind of feels all bulgy, and you're like, oh, that, it feels, you know, if you ever, if you ever lift a weight, and afterwards you go, oh, all the blood's in that muscle now, it feels enormous, and it looks enormous to you. I've got that with my knee. That's weird, isn't it? So I had that, I had a bit of a twinge in my shoulder, and then yesterday I had this, like, I moved, I was washing up, and suddenly I went, oh, and kind of like my pelvis gave out, and I thought, God, I'm so old. And then throughout the day, as I minded about feeling old and broken, I suddenly realised, oh no, I've pulled a specific muscle, like a deep, deep muscle in my lower back. I've pulled a muscle. So that's what it is. It's not that I'm falling apart. It's not that my body is an awful catalogue of, of errors. But um, it, it's, uh, you know, it's a specific thing. So that's fine. No need to feel old. And then I realised I couldn't remember when I pulled it and I felt old again. <laughs> and then I remembered, oh, I've remembered, fine, I'm not old. And then I remembered it was when I slightly fell down the stairs, <laughs> which is the sort of thing a very elderly stew would do. So I flipped very quickly from feeling like, I'm old. Oh, no, I'm young. No, I am old. No, I am young. Oh, God, I'm old. <laughs> so that's how I'm feeling at the moment. And I'm only buoyed up by coffee. What a tiny, tragic anecdote. It'll have to do for now. Too much to do. Love you. Speak to you soon. Um, who's coming next? Have we decided? I had such a great chat with Eggsy from Goldie Looking Chain. And uh, they, I mean, I love them. Maybe we'll chuck Eggsy out next. And then Jess Foster Q. Look out for Jess's excellent podcast, Hoovering. I guessed it on that one. She guessed it on this one. And um, we had a really fun time. And I also yawned in her face in a barely disguised way several times. Because it had been a few mornings on the trot of getting up at five uh, with the Baba, and um, she also has a child, and very politely ignoring my huge yawns, which I hope Nathan can edit out of that one. But it was a fascinating show. It really, really was. It was a great interview. She's excellent. I just was yawning and so tired. Okay, enough on that. Speak to you soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. <laughs> 